everyone, this is Amanda Borshaldan, and welcome to Times Will Tell, the weekly podcast from the Times of Israel. This week, we're speaking with Max Gross, the author of the award-winning The Lost Shtetl. The book came out in October 2020, and then we had a great no-spoilers interview with him that was written by my colleague Renee Gert Zand. Since then, it's won a bunch of awards, and I recently read it and loved it. So since the book has been out a while, we're having a new conversation in which we're lifting up the curtain and spoiling away. So if you intend to read this crazy novel about a shtetl that somehow drops off the face of the earth and misses the Holocaust, the Cold War, fast food and consumerism, and the internet revolution, stop listening now. Otherwise, you'll hear me ask Max all my unanswered questions about this enchanting, sobering book that had me crying on its final page. Enjoy! Max, thank you so much for joining me. Where am I finding you today? Hi, thank you for having me. You're finding me in Forest Hills, Queens in New York City. Uh, Behind you is a mountain of books. I, I hope they're all real. They are real. I could take them out and show you. There, there's some. I have these are my Isaac Bashevis Singer books right behind me. Um, Very good prop. A, gr- a great model for my my writing. Yes, uh, the, there's a big mountain of books. I'm in my basement, my man cave, my office, home office, uh, and I am surrounded by real books. And it's a great backdrop on these Zoom calls. It makes me look very smart, much smarter than I actually am. So It's working for you. The glasses, the <laughs> beard, the books, it's, it's all good. Now, we're here to discuss your novel, The Lost Shtetl, which came out in October 2020. And I just recently read and loved, so I contacted you, even though we already published an interview with you in October, I said, okay, I want to have the opportunity to speak with you anyway. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I remember the story. I remember uh, Renee interviewing me. So um, she was lovely. So it was, it was, it's, a, it's a pleasure. In the meantime, you have won the National Book Award and the Jewish Fiction Award. And is there any kind of Jewish fiction award you didn't win for this book? It was National Jewish Book Award, yes. Um, I don't know. I, I was a, a finalist for the Sophie Brody uh, Medal, um, so that's that was exciting. And uh, I don't know if there are any other big Jewish things, but um, I, I was thrilled with the uh, the response from 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 all the the Jewish awards. It's been great. The book, the setup for the book is so bizarre, but so right. It basically is talking about this shtetl Kreskol in Poland that somehow. Well, we find out how, but it dropped off the face of the map. No one in Poland knows it exists. No one in the world knows it exists. And basically, it continued on with life, and it missed the Holocaust, the Cold War, fast food, the internet, everything, until finally, what happened? Um, Well, there's this very acrimonious divorce that happens between uh, these uh, two mismatched uh, members of the town. And the wife is suddenly uh, suddenly vanishes, and they, the the rabbi suspects that the husband murdered her, and there is you know a lot of confusion about what to do, and then suddenly the, the husband disappears too. So um, the rabbis feel that they can't just sit on this; that this is something that has to be elevated to the uh, Gentile authorities. So uh, they send 
um, the local momser, um, the local, you know, pisher that nobody gives a crap about out uh, to the nearest um, town. But they assume it's like the nearest court. They assume that it's like the, the Duke and um, he'll just, you know, tell the Duke's people. And, um, you know, this momser, who is the, um, I guess, the hero of the story, Yanko Lewinkoff, he really doesn't know what to make of the fact that he stepped into the 21st century into this like, you know, fully modern city and, um, you know, where everything is completely different. And um, they, he tries to tell people this story and they think he's a lunatic. So he gets locked up in an insane asylum. <laughs> and uh, and I will guess I won't say anything more. There's, there's a lot more to the story than that, but um, that's where, that's where it starts. And that's, uh, that's how it gets going. What's great about this character of Yankel, who, as you said, is a bastard, he's the son of a prostitute, is his whole life is basically been training him for this role because he's been shifted from house to house to to work to work and just his whole entire life, he never has had anything stable. So when the world is always on shifting sands, why not go to this modern city and try and figure things out as well? Uh, exactly. No, that was definitely... Um I always, you know, I think that um, throughout, you know, so many of my favorite books, the, uh, uh, the, the lead character is an orphan or an itinerant sort of figure. And, um, yeah, I think that he was very adaptable to this kind of uh, environment where he could, you know, he, he rolls with the punches. And um, uh, that's one of the things I admired about him. And there are many, in fact, in this, in this story. Now, another character, probably my favorite character, is a very complex character called Leonid Spector. And he mm. is not a native of Kreskol, which we should mention is not this tiny kind of shtetl that you see in uh, Fiddler on the Roof. No, in fact, it's uh, several hundred, if not a thousand residents. More than that, actually. But, um, you know, the shtetls of Eastern Europe, they, they varied in size. That, was, that would not be one of the biggest ones. But, um, yeah, yeah. It, it was not an Anatekva. It's, it's bigger than that, I think. Right. He comes from the outside world and yet quickly is absorbed into the world of Kreskol. Talk a little bit about this character and, and how his story actually was suppressed inside the shtetl for dozens, if not decades of years. Um, yeah, well, he's sort of... I mean, I, I, you know, spoilers, but um, he was sort of a, almost, um, I don't know if you ever read that book, um, The Reawakening by Primo Levi, where he, um, he this was a book where Levi was, um, this was after Auschwitz, after the Holocaust. He's basically freed and has to make his way back to Italy. And he goes in this, you know, roundabout, circuitous uh path that takes him like, you know, I think back into Eastern Europe and then finally makes a big loop until he finally gets back to Italy. And I was thinking about that a lot in um, drafting this, this story. Um, so Leonid Spector is a Holocaust survivor. He's the only Holocaust survivor in the, in the book. And, you know, the Holocaust is one of the real ghosts of this book. Um, the book is, you know, about this town missing modernity and that watershed where it misses it is the Holocaust. Um, he, and one of the things that I thought was very, very important was that the Holocaust had to play a kind of ghostly role. And in sort of the Dickensian way that I believe names can be used in uh, books, 
I gave the ghost the name Spectre. Um, and he is sort of in that Primo Levi wandering back to his now destroyed home when he stumbles upon this town and finds this little untouched, unspoiled thing that had, you know, completely slept through the Holocaust. And um, he decides that this is where he's going to, you know, return. This is going to be his, you know, Eden. Um, And uh, when he is put in that position, um, he sees all the vulnerabilities of this town, that that it can be uh, touched by um, modernity. And he basically does everything he can to sort of create a moat around the town, which... um, not, not a literal moat, but um, he, he really does want to try to protect it. And it's one of the ways that this whole conceit of mine, that this town could be, you know, forgotten for, you know, 100 years, uh, is sustained. Um, there is a conscious effort on his part. And the one or two people in the town who know his story do make an effort to sort of press it down, deny it, not tell anybody about it, keep it secret, because... You know, there's a there's a whole sense of we don't know what the outside world um, can bring, and we want to avoid it. Right, and one of those characters who takes them in and is so compassionate to this waif of a Holocaust survivor who comes into the mm-hmm. town is Rabbi Sokolov, who plays such a pivotal role in the entire book. And I never entirely know, is he just some kind of good-natured, naive person, or is he just somebody who who sees the reality as it is and decides to try and make the best of it and continue life as long as possible in the way that he's accustomed to. Well, you know, it's funny. I do think that the underlying um, theme of the book, what what I was trying to write about is that inherent tension um, between progress and nostalgia. And, um, you know, there are, the, the town does split um, there's there's a major split between those who, you know, the town is rediscovered. There's like uh, uh, this attempt by the Polish government to reintroduce it. And, um, you know, half the town sees the progress they have, the, the, the medical advances, the technological advances, all these things, and says that this is a very good thing and that we should embrace this. And um, the other half of the town sees it as um, their doom, as the, as the, the end of everything that they've known and um, something that will spell the end of the town. And Sokolow is sort of caught in the middle of this. Um, I, he, in the end, he sides with those who sort of want to go forward. And, you know, he says, you know, we can't get undiscovered again. I think that's one of his lines, you know, that, that you can't rewrite the past. Um, and then on the other hand, there's his best friend, um, when they were when they were children, um, Katz Nelson, who uh, takes the other side, who says, "Of course you can rewrite the um, past, and you know, of course we can get we can hide ourselves again." And um, you know, anybody who deals with the Gentiles and the Poles is a uh, apicorus, and we should not deal with them. And you know, they should be excommunicated and shunned. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that Sokolow was. Um, sort of caught in the middle, but in the end, he sided a little bit with the uh, the forces of progress. 
This Times of Israel podcast episode is sponsored by the Israel Policy Forum. Check out their fine podcast, Israel Policy Pod, which takes you behind the headlines with the policymakers and thought leaders shaping the conversation on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Tune in each week for new episodes of Israel Policy Pod featuring the Israel Policy Forum's expert analysts and special guests. And on June 2nd, join in for the inaugural Virtual Policy Summit at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific to examine the road ahead for U.S.-Israel relations and the efforts towards a two-state solution. For more information, please visit israelpolicyforum.org. Your book touches on basically all the themes that are in contemporary Jewish society, as well as, of course, historical themes. And again, when Spectre, the ghost of Holocaust, appears, I said, ah, okay, enter the Holocaust. Finally, we have the Holocaust. <laughs> and then when the schism in the town happened, I said, ah, finally, two Jews, three opinions. Okay, good. Finally, <laughs> we have that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but how did you capture the reality, as I see it at least, of the Polish political situation. One of the more interesting developments in this book, and we are spoiling it away, sorry, is that the <laughs> Polish politician, political sphere decides in the end that Kreskol is a fake. Yes. Well, um, you know, it's funny. Um, I started the book a, a little bit before the contemporary Polish government took office. Um, and, you know, to a certain extent, th that part of the story, I think, evolved. And I think I got a little bit lucky because, you know, people have asked me, why did you set this book in Poland? And it, ne it wasn't necessarily because I um, saw um, those political forces coming. Um, it was more um, lucky. And the fact that, you know, my ancestors came from Poland and, um, you know, Poland was, uh, the great stage of the Holocaust. That was where um, the the most killing happened. It was, um, and it was a country whose record in the Holocaust was um, the most mixed. Um, I, you know, you cannot read stories of the Polish resistance not admire um, the bravery, the um, selflessness that went that went on in the, the fight against the Nazis. They, you know, there were truly heroic figures in Poland um, in World War II. And there were, you know, true um, uh, swine who um, really catered to the, to, to the Germans, who, who, who helped the Germans, and whose role is really methodically being whitewashed from the history books currently in a way that I find very disturbing. Um, I... <laughs> I, there was a story about the contemporary Polish government in the New Yorker a couple of weeks ago um, that I, you know, linked to on Twitter um, and in an approving way. I said, like, you know, great, you know, great story or something like that. And within minutes, and I don't have a big Twitter following, but within minutes, like, you know, all these bots and all these people were attacking me, accusing me of, like, child molestation and, and just like absolutely heinous, horrific things that were just so vile. I mean, I, which I, of course, you know, reported to Twitter, but um, it's amazing how uh, reactionary it has gotten and um, what those forces are like there now. And um, I've, you know, I, I've certainly been following it um, for 
those who want a quick primer, I would highly recommend Anne Applebaum's new book, The Twilight of the Democracies, which talks about um, Viktor Orban in um, Hungary and uh, talks about the contemporary Polish government. Anne Applebaum if you, I, I, I is a wonderful writer. She wrote a great book about the Russian gulags called Gulag, as well as um, a book called Iron Curtain and Red Famine. She, she's a great scholar of uh, the Soviet Union, and she's married to a Polish politician, and uh, she's Jewish, and she lives in Poland, and she is herself a political football there, where she she's like uh, viewed as, and there's been like you know these horrible um, you know stories about her, front page stories in some of these um, newspapers attacking her as this you know a sinister force, and the fact that she's Jewish is not incidental to that. Um, so I don't know. There's, there's, there's a lot in contemporary Poland that I find very, very troublesome, but I know that Poland has within it people who are really disgusted by this. Um, you look at the last Polish election and it was a very, very close, hotly contested election. And I know Poles who, you know, told me, you know, just how, um, sickened they have been by, you know, some of the the latest developments. Um, so I sort of lucked into the fact that this, that this idea, which was an idea, you know, that germinated with an idea of this is going to be about uh, a shtetl that was overlooked by the Nazis took place in Poland. But I think it was fortuitously picked that it was Poland because there's, there's a lot to write about there. Now the voice of the narrator is extremely important to binding the story together uh, it is sardonic. It is knowing. It is incredulous at times. It is saying, "Yeah, I know this. This defies believability." But believe me, it is true. Who is that? Your voice? Whose voice is that? <laughs> well, you know, I'm I'm gonna um, take a little bit of a pass on this and say that I I don't want to um, lend my voice. I mean, I'm, I had an afterward all about the um, narrator that we wound up. Chucking um, simply because I think it's better to leave it a little bit as a mystery, uh, to let people um, write in their own story for this narrator. Uh, I always wanted this as a folk tale, as you know, something that was told in the back of the stalls in the market. Um, and I've heard so many interesting theories about who the narrator could be. Um, I've heard that it is. Um, Yonkel's long lost father. I've heard that it was the devil. I've heard um, so many things that I thought were so interesting that um, I really want to not lend my voice to it and just leave it as it now stands. Okay, fair enough. You have that right. Now, the story is also an unlikely love story between Yankel and Pesha. What happens to Pesha in the end? Ah, more mystery. Um, I think that, you know, I, I think that we sh I should not say too much about it um, and just say that, um, that I'm not 100 percent sure either, <laughs> that, <Okay>. you know, <laughs> but uh, I but she doesn't go back to Kreskel that much. I know. And we should just mention that she gets swept into a life of uh, prostitution, essentially, because she does not know Polish. She is unable to learn it uh, easily, at least. 
And she's taken in by a kindly seeming woman and basically uh, turns into a prostitute, which is how she reunites with Yankel fortuitously. And uh, the story evolves from there. Now, what are you working on currently, if I may ask? Um, so <laughs> I, um, I, my, my agent has uh, told me that um, short stories never te- sell. So I, of course, gave him a book of short stories, which um, he uh, has said, I'm not even going to try. <laughs> so it's, like, <laughs> it's like you need something better for you for, for your next one. Um, which, you know, I don't think even, I mean, he may have read it, but, um, he was like, as a business move, don't do that. Um, I am, then I was like, oh, I've got a really good, um, you know, young adult, you know, child's novel, like sort of a raw doll kind of novel. And he was like, not right for you when you're (laughs) So, um, that one's pretty much finished. Um, so I have about three different other ideas that I'm, um, outlining, and working on some sample chapters of um, before I go ahead with one one of the three, um, but all three are, are are contemporary, a little bit less Jewish than uh, the Lost Shtetl was. But I don't um, think you could get more Jewish. Actually, it would be difficult. It would be very very difficult. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing is, you know, I, I, I it's so interesting. I am not Orthodox or certainly not Hasidic um, and never really lived that life. I, when I went, I lived in Israel for about a year after college and, you know, I would go to, you know, friends' houses and I would go to Orthodox services and, you know, I would, I, I got a good close up look of Orthodox life, but, um, you know, I never had that uh, as a kid. Um, I was always, um, you know, Mr. I was much closer to a Woody Allen than to a Menachem Schneerson. And uh, <laughs> I guess I shouldn't say Woody Allen. That's a controversial choice now. But nonetheless, um, I uh, yeah. And um, it was definitely a, a, a big learning process writing about something so Jewish. Well, you did it well. And in fact, I would say it has everything in it. It has the fantasy element it has the science element even it has history it has really everything and i thoroughly enjoyed it so i just had to bring you up and and have this conversation so thank you so much for joining me oh thank you so much i appreciate you having me (laughs) really a pleasure Thank you so much for listening to Times Will Tell and a special thanks to TLV1 Studios for sound production help. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to Times Will Tell on all podcast platforms. (laughs) 